1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. The coming of the Lord. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. May the Lord add his blessing upon his word. Last time I was here, we had a power cut. <laughs> of course, that wasn't in the pulpit. That was everywhere else. But uh, hopefully all will be well today. So delightful to be with you again. Thank you very much for the invitation. Um, I've been asked to uh, give a short series on the return of the Lord Jesus to earth. And um, it's my joy to do so. Today, I, I simply want to focus on establishing the truth of Jesus' return. And I'd like to say, first of all, that this is, in Scripture, clear truth. It is clear. The main central truth is unambiguous. Many of the details are less so. Leon Morris Commenting on verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first, says this. This makes us reflect on the very little the New Testament has to say about the manner of his coming. The point of it all is that the scriptures are intensely practical. There are things our curiosity would like to know, but the Bible is not there to gratify our curiosity. It is to help our Christian lives. And for that, the important thing is that we should be ready whenever he comes. Derek Prince said, I question whether any human mind is capable 
in advance of putting all the pieces in their correct place. He says it's like having a jigsaw puzzle of 500 pieces, which when you think you have completed it, has 50 pieces left over. In other words, it is very clear that Jesus is coming back. But there's a lot that we don't know or where it all fits. So, in this series of teachings, what I will say is this. When it's clear, I'll tell you it's clear. And if there are different opinions from godly people, I'll tell you what those opinions are. Okay? Then I'll tell you why I'm right. <laughs> Not really. But in other words, I'll try to distinguish the two for you. What it means is, at the very beginning, what we need to do as we approach this subject is to do so with charity and with humility. There's been too many lives killed and too much ink, ink spilled over this subject. It really should be a subject that inspires worship, hope, and anticipation, and not battle. Are we agreed? Because yes. if not, I'm out. <laughs> it's clear truth. Second, it's glorious truth. I've met people uh, who have been fearful of the whole subject. I think sometimes the imagery, particularly in the book of Revelation, with its apocalyptic language of Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, the great harlot, the great tribulation, worries people and causes them to fear. Let me quote Leon Morris again, this time on a phrase that comes uh, in 2 Thessalonians, which we will look at in our third study, to do with the man of lawlessness. Paul writes to assure them that God is working his purpose out and will continue to do so to the very end. The man of lawlessness and the great rebellion must be mentioned. But Paul's interest in them is not in them, but God. No sooner has come to the appearance of the lawless one than he proceeds to his destruction. It is always important to know that uh, this is glorious truth. And the fact that we know the end of our Christian story makes all the difference to the living of it. I like the story told of a Bible school in America where the students were studying different aspects of the Lord's return. And their heads were filled with various theories about raptures and tribulations and, and uh, lawlessness and all the rest of it. And they were debating it as they came out of their lecture room. They went down through the games hall and there was the janitor reading the book of Revelation. With their heads full of their new knowledge, they said to him, ah, surely you don't understand that. To which he said, sure do, Jesus wins. 
It's glorious truth. And thirdly, it's practical truth. As I've already hinted, the weight of the New Testament on this subject is not speculation, but preparation. The parable of the wise and foolish virgins is just one example. When the time comes, you should be ready. You should be ready. Jesus chastised the Jews of his day who knew how to interpret the weather but failed to know the time of their visitation. Knowing must lead to doing. So this is highly relevant for a number of things in the Christian life. First of all, it puts a challenge to us to be saved. I think the second coming is great evangelistic preaching. Because if you know that Jesus is coming back, you sure want to be in a relationship with him to welcome him. I think it has relevance for character. Because if we know what he is looking for in us, he wants to see not only that we are saved, but that we are having our character evolved and developed as we walk in the spirit and according to the word of God. It has to do with our priorities and whether or not we have been living our life in a way in anticipation of his coming. In John Wesley's journal, he records uh, an occasion when somebody asked him the question, what would you do if you knew that the Lord's return would be tonight? And he records that he looked out his diary and he read through all the things that he was going to be doing in his diary for that day. And he concluded, and so to bed at 9.30 p.m. and awake in glory. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? His day, he didn't have to change a thing didn't have to rush off to church, didn't have to suddenly take communion, didn't have to repent. He just lived his life the way he'd lived it, planned it, and walked it with Jesus. And when the time came, he was fine, ready to go, awake in glory. It's a very practical truth, which is why Paul says in our reading, verse 18, comfort one another with these words. We are there to be fortified, to be exhorted, encouraged, and reassured. It's clear truth, glorious truth, and it is practical truth. Okay? So far? Good. Let's look at four facts concerning the return of Jesus. First of all, note that this is a personal return. A personal return. In the passage, verse 16, it says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. It is a personal return. The last time Jesus uh, uh, was with his disciples, they walked out to the Mount of Olives, and on the day of ascension, as we record it, 
he was lifted up into heaven and into glory. And the angel appeared after he had gone because the disciples were still looking up, if you remember the story. The angel said to them, he's gone into heaven and then this same Jesus will return. This same Jesus. Now in the 40-day period between resurrection and ascension, the disciples learned to appreciate Jesus in a new way. He was clearly the same Jesus. He was concerned for them. He loved them. He taught them. He provided breakfast for them. But he did so with a resurrection body. He wasn't bound by the same laws of physics. We're going to have a little look at the resurrection body on the last of our studies. It was personal. And if it was personal, it will be physical and geographical. So the location of his return is spelled out in Zechariah 14 and verse 4. I'll just read it for you. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and the half south. So when Jesus returns, it will not be to Washington, D.C., New York, London, Brussels, I was going to say certainly not Brussels, but that's... <laughs> he will return to Jerusalem and just outside the city on the Mount of Olives. You see, it was Micah who prophesied Bethlehem for the first visit and it is Zechariah the second. So it will be a physical, personal return. Secondly, it will be visible. Again, in verse 16, it says this, the Lord himself will come and will be accompanied by um, loud command, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. There will be three loud noises when Jesus returns. There will be a, a shout or a loud command. And that is thought to be Jesus himself. Something like, here I come. Whatever he shouts, we will hear the voice of Jesus in that moment. Isn't that an incredibly exciting thing to anticipate? I've longed to hear what his voice sounds like. And we will hear, the first thing we hear, the first sentiment that something is about to happen that is the most amazing event in the world's history is hearing the voice of Jesus. Then it goes on to say, 
and the voice of the archangel, possibly the heavenly army. Well, that is going to be something else. If you've heard army people or sports people cheer, you know the it's an enormous noise. We had a sad moment at Murrayfield yesterday when the Scots went crazy. And we really blew it in the last 15 minutes. But the noise was deafening. And you couldn't help but feel slightly happy for the Scots. But imagine the sound of this army. Imagine the sound of this crowd. It's going to be deafening. And the trumpet call of God to announce the release of the great event. Imagine that trumpet. Well, you know, I can understand why some people don't like loud noise in church. But get ready for this. It's going to be a visible return. Jesus describes it like this in Matthew 24 in his own words. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather the elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. It's going to be very visible. Now, if the watchword for the first advent was secretly, silently, the words for the second advent are openly, manifestly, noisily. There will be no escaping this. Not like the first advent. The second advent is that all nations will see, all nations will grieve, all nations will be struck dumb, and there will be the great gathering of the saints from the end of the earth. It will be visible. Thirdly, it will be sudden. Uh, I want to read on in 1 Thessalonians uh, to chapter 5, and uh, this is what it says. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. I always feel that's a shame. Clearly, he'd talked to them about it. Well, why couldn't he write it as well? It would be so helpful for us. We do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. For you are all sons of the light and of the day. We do not belong to the night or the day of darkness. There are two metaphors that Paul uses here. The first is this thief in the night. And the basis of using a phrase like that indicates suddenness and 
a lack of expectation. The phrase originates with Jesus. That's the phrase he used in Matthew 24. Come like a thief in the night. And what Paul is intimating here is that for the vast majority of people on earth, it will be a terrific shock, simply because they had no preparation and no expectation of it. But Paul then introduces a second metaphor, which is that it will be like a pregnant woman about to give birth. But he adds, so that it will not surprise you, but it will be like a pregnant woman giving birth. Now, uh, we've had three children, and um, we know what being pregnant's like. Easier for me than it was for Marilyn. But there comes a time in a pregnancy where you're given your date. You know when it's going to be, but you don't quite know when it's going to be. It could be early. It could be late. Early or late. You don't know. You've got a general idea of the period. A couple of weeks before, a couple of weeks later, but you've got to be ready. You've got to have the little case packed. You've got to be all set to go at any moment, but you don't know precisely, but you do know roughly. Got the idea? Now, for the majority of the world, is going to be like a thief in the night. You go to bed, you go to sleep. Suddenly, there it is. It's happened. You had no knowledge of it. But for believers, it's like a pregnant wife about to give birth. Because he has given us signs, we have the Braxton Hicks of the return. There are things happening that we can note and know and observe. And they give us a quickened sense that, you know, I, I, think, I think Jesus is coming. I think this might be roughly the time. And that, even when it comes, will still be sudden. So I could grab Marilyn's hand and we say, up we go, sweetheart. Boom! <laughs> this, is, this is the moment. So it will be sudden. And finally, it will be victorious. Personal, visible, sudden, and victorious. I'm going to read to you from a chapter that uh, we'll look at again. It's um, one of those chapters in the prophecy of Zechariah that at the moment is yet future fulfillment. A lot in the uh, prophets, particularly as they relate to the coming of the Messiah, uh, have already been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus at Christmas, first advent, and in his life now. But particularly the last three chapters of the book of Zechariah are all future, even from the point of view of today. They're still future events. Chapter 14 is one that speaks about the return. 
And uh, let me just read you this to give a flavor of the day. A day of the Lord is coming when your plunder will be divided among you. I will gather all the nations in Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, the women raped, half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. In other words, a time of huge, huge pain and suffering, tribulation, trials, distress, particularly in Israel. Verse 3, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, the passage we've just read earlier, he will come on the Mount of Olives outside Jerusalem. Verse 6, and on that day there will be no light, no cold, nor frost. It will be a unique day, without daytime, nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. And on that day, living water will flow out. From Jerusalem, half to the eastern sea and half to the western sea, summer and in winter, the Lord will be king over all the whole earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. That the enemy will be destroyed. It will be absolutely victorious. If we had time, I'd take you into the book of Revelation and the Hallelujah Chorus. And all the great songs of praise that lift up to the Lord full of worship, adoration, magnificent praise and glory. It will be victorious. We live in a very broken, selfish, evil world. And there are people that we hear about, read about, maybe even sadly come across, who are just horrible people. Somehow evil has got a grip of them and they do awful things to, to people. Highs and lows in the hierarchy of evil will come to an end. Jesus' return will spark this transformation of world order. It will be a wonderfully victorious time and the incoming of a new kingdom altogether. Well, there we are. That's enough for this morning. It will be clear truth, glorious truth, and very practical. And his coming, and coming soon, will be a personal return, a visible return, a sudden return, and a victorious return. We just need to be ready.